If it's nerdy, we're into it. Gaming, movies, television, wrestling, comics, whatever. We are Kyle Eckert and Chris Heck, two lifelong friends with a passion for the world of geekery. And this is the Geek Catch-Up Podcast. Welcome back, Geek Catch-Up family. I am Chris Heck. And I'm Kyle Eckerd. Today we're continuing on with Season 2, and for Chapter 30, we are chatting yet again about one of our favorite topics from the world of geekery, comics. After putting so much focus into the recent X-Men event, X of Swords, we both had large piles building up with the other titles in our pool lists. And since Kyle and I have spent the last couple of weeks catching up on those neglected stories, we want to take a moment to share about what titles we've been reading, what's been happening with those characters, and which books have stood out above the rest. But before we get started, we both want to send a big thank you to everyone for listening to the show and share that we truly appreciate you choosing to spend your time with us. If you've enjoyed Geek Catch-Up, then be sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss a chapter, and leave us a review to let us know how you think we're doing. You can also find us on social media to get updates on the show and content from the world of geekery, Geek Catch-Up Podcast on Facebook and YouTube, at Geek Catch-Up Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find links to all of these accounts in the show notes below and on our website, geekcatchuppodcast.com. There's even links to our Patreon page and PayPal if you'd like to support the show, but the absolute best thing you can do is simply share Geek Catch-Up with your friends and family. So Kyle, I know we've got a lot of great comic books to discuss, and we're going to dive into that shortly, but before we do, I want us to share a bit about a few things that we've been up to over the past week or so. So one thing I know we've both been getting into recently is Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, as 34-year-old grown men, we are taking our first adventure into D&D. Yes, indeed. And I know for a really long time we joked, and, and I tell this all the time, that usually we always say in another universe amongst the multiverse, somewhere we played D&D as kids yep. or we played Magic the <laughs> Gathering as kids. But for whatever reason, in this universe, we didn't play D&D. We, in, we played Pokemon instead of Magic the Gathering and this and that. But finally, the multiverses have aligned or combined, <laughs> and it is now, as 34-year-old men, we are taking our first adventure into D&D, and it's all very new, very overwhelming, but also exciting and interesting. Yeah, one of our close friends, Alex, he had started recently, what, the last couple of months, I think, with a D&D yeah. group and his own first-time adventure as a player, and he was mentioning just a couple days ago that he was wanting to to learn about being a dungeon master and kind of taking a shot at that. And we kind of just jumped in and said, well, you know, never been a better time. We can check out some D&D for the first time, let you practice on us. You know, we can learn the game and see if it's something that, that we would like. You know, we're both longtime RPG players. Right. You know, so it, it's got a lot of similar crossovers. Just one's digital video games and the other one is you manually yeah. doing it. <laughs> Right. Yeah, exactly. And it it's kind of one of those things that, you know, when it came to you playing guitar or us starting the podcast or anybody starting to attempt something new, you just have to dive in and do it. Yep. So for a really long time, we said it would be fun to try it out, but we didn't have anybody that could kind of lead us through the process. And of course, our good buddy, Alex, he jumped in with another group of friends and kind of got his feet wet and then brought it over to us. And we kind of said, if you are comfortable being a dungeon master for us, like we'd certainly like to try, see if it is for us, build a character, 
you know, go on a couple small adventures and then maybe a larger thing. See, see, see if it's something that we like to do. Bring in a couple of our other friends as a group, especially during COVID times. It's, it's a great way to stay connected with your friends. And for us, friends that are spread out all across you know, the country in different time zones and states and everything. So it's given us a way to stay connected as friends as these things do. Yeah, honestly, I think that was about 50% of the reason why I got so excited when it first started getting brought up, just simply because throughout all of COVID, we haven't done a whole lot of the group, you know, Zoom meetings or virtual happy hours that folks have done for whatever reason. You and I, of course, we're talking all the time and we're doing these video chats for for the podcast, but with the larger group of folks, we haven't done that. It's just been maybe a, an occasional video game night or session, you know, here and there. And, and so this was almost twofold. So it's like, okay, we can learn Dungeons and Dragons and have some fun in this new arena, but also it'll give us a reason every couple of weeks or once a month to jump on with the larger group and get some connection and, and some chance to hang out with each other, you know, drink some of those beers virtually, but while we're also, you know, adventuring through a cavern and taking down orcs. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, of course. And as, as anyone gets older in life, you know, you, you have to build in time for this and maintain friendships and connections. So this is really taking that to the next level where, you know, like I said, we've, we've got these friends that are spread across the country and we're not able to just do, hey, a, a Thursday HH at the, the local tavern or local pub. So now we've taken it into the D&D world to do our regular Thursday <laughs> HH at the local tavern or pub. Yeah. So it's all been kind of a whirlwind, and we have not gotten to the point of adventuring. But just a couple nights ago, we were able to pull together on Discord, uh, get the, the team together, get the adventuring group together, and um, we all walked through building out our initial characters for the first time. And that was an experience in itself, you know, seeing how in-depth everything is with the races and whatnot. And and none of it's very different than what you see in like an in-depth RPG, like a Skyrim or something along those lines where you really have to sit and put a lot of time into to doing things. But it was more manual. It was more of reading it out of a book, comparing things without, you know, the use of virtual or visuals that you get out of a game and all that kind of stuff is more imagination. Yeah. And then looking at the character sheets and kind of some of the different things that go along with that. But it was cool just to pull together just for that, even though we didn't adventure, it was kind of like an adventure in itself. Oh yeah. Trying to figure out this process of, of building these imaginary characters. Yeah. And like I said, it's all very new and overwhelming just building a character, and that's coming from somebody that has played RPGs and loves RPGs, so it has a little bit of experience in building a character with different classes and races and abilities. Even that experience, like, it translated a little bit, but there were moments the other night where you still felt lost. You're like, mm-hmm. whoa, I am just deep in the weeds of the <laughs> of the handbook, and if I pick, you know, this race... But this class, it's going to give me this down the line, but it's hard to look down the line because you don't even know what level one experience is like. So, <laughs> right, yeah. You know, we got through it, and it was a ton of fun. Just hanging out with the guys was a good time. Getting our characters built was a ton of fun. And I imagine with each step we take, it's going to get more and more exciting because we're going to go on to do bigger and better things, but we're also going to have a better understanding of what we're doing. Right. So when we continue to do it in the future, or if we build a new, you know, we get so far 
and then want to build a new character, we're going to have that experience and be able to make something better, unique to our play styles. Yeah, 100%. I thought it was cool to see how everybody took a little bit different approaches to creating the characters. And and it was surprising. I know we were talking about it the night of, but you know, with the four of us all building characters, not talking about any of it ahead of time, none of us picked the same races, none of us picked the same classes. And so it immediately showed you like one of the great things that you always hear about Dungeons and Dragons, where everybody's personalities really kind of come out. You there's obviously some rules and you you know some boxes to play within, but right. you know, it, you got a lot more freedom here than what you do maybe in a video game because ultimately most video games are going to have just a certain subset that the developers choose. So, you know, maybe the preferred race or whatever that you would like isn't even in the game as an option. Right. Whereas here you kind of had more flexibility and there was lots of choices. So uh, obviously we can't get into too much here and this is still the beginning of our journey, but um, what was the character you ended up creating? At least are you're thinking about at the moment? So, I ended up that night looking at gnomes because, and like you, you pointed it out, we all took a different approach to creating our characters. So I'll start with my base and kind of what I wanted out of my character versus looking to do a specific thing. And I was really looking to build a character that was very in tune with nature. Yeah. And so naturally becoming a gnome lent itself to that. And ultimately I settled on a forest gnome because of my inevitable class in a druid that I picked. So I, I wanted this interconnected with nature and animals type vibe. And the smaller stature of a gnome seemed to fit that really well. And the druid being able to interact with nature and weather and magic and spells and things like that all seemed to fit this this tree beard crossed with poison ivy <laughs> mixed with a, a gnome type vibe that I wanted. Yeah, it'd be super cool. And I didn't know if you thought about this, but when I when I first heard about your character, I was curious because we don't see gnomes very often in video games. And even some of those abilities we don't see very often in video games. So I was curious if if some of that was the reason why you were attracted to go that route. Was it was it was obviously things you like, but also something maybe you don't get to do very often? Yeah, for sure. I, I do like playing the healer whenever we play games like that. Like, I'm not always an inaction type person. I almost prefer to be the support character when you play group games. But it was also in the mindset that knowing the personality of the people we were playing with, uh, there were going to be people that wanted to be in the thick of things, wanted the axe and sword and shield sure. and kind of getting into the fight. So my natural personality and wanting to play a support character factored in. And I was like, oh, well, the, the gnome is just something different. Yeah. Like it's something, like you said, it's smaller, it's out of the way, It's e you can easily not notice it. So, yeah, I, I would say a lot of that did factor in to you don't get to play as very many gnomes or dwarves in RPGs like that. Right. Oh, and I asked because for me, I went the total opposite direction. And I did that because there was a bit of overwhelmingness to it when you started reading through the player's handbook. You started looking at you know, the races, the classes, and then everything that comes with them with these different like backgrounds and bloodlines and how that can impact you. And so I actually kind of settled back down into a comfort zone and said, okay, for character one, I am going to essentially duplicate what I typically do build in video games. And that often is essentially a elf 
or a high elf like battle mage. Right. You know, I like to have the sword or axe in one hand and fireballs in the other and get that combination of, you know, range and in close power. So I always tend to go that way or or really just mages and magic and yeah. wizards and warlocks, you know, that's kind of the the deal. So I opted to go for a high elf with I think draconic blood, so he's got some interesting benefits and traits that are related to dragons as a source of the power, but it's a sorcerer. So I'll I'll probably be a little less sword and axe wielding and mostly just magic. But for me, it was almost like, okay, I kind of know the lore and the realm behind these races and this type of character. So while I'm learning all the other things, at least those things will be kind of normal to me. Yeah. We'll see how it goes, right? But that was just like my approach on the flip side. But once you said gnome that night, I was like, man, I was like, I kind of was envious because I was like, I feel like that was something that you wouldn't see coming. You don't get to choose a lot in video games. So I was like, ah, that could have been a cool way to take it. Yeah. And like I said, the entire basis was me wanting to A, talk to animals. (laughs) Like kind of that was the vibe, like especially when I saw certain spells that allowed me to talk and control animals, like talk to animals and control animals and kind of get information. I was like, yes, this is the direction I want to go. And then we're going to touch on a little later, another game that we've been playing lately inspired me to also want to be able to control nature oh, okay. in like that poison ivy vibe and be able to bring up plants and uh, move mounds of dirt and things like that. So it was just this whole vibe. It was like, this is just kind of the personality I want to be within this realm. So and it, it went from there. Uh, I also thought being able to talk with animals would be a fun little twist for our buddy that's going to be our dungeon master, especially when he told us that he was going to do animal voices. Like yeah. as soon as I told him that I was going to be a forest gnome and I had prepared everybody that was on the discord that night, hey, hey I just want to talk to animals the whole time. That's prepare for me to do that at every opportunity. Uh, he kind of laughed. He was like, that's exciting because it's going to give me an opportunity to do animal voices, you know, as we work through our adventures. So it it is it's all very new to us, but I, I am excited to, to get it started, get our first adventure, see if we like it. Yeah, definitely got to see if it really works out for us. And and it's all stuff that we're we've all been into. And you mentioned at the beginning, like how we didn't end up with D&D. As kids and things like that, you know, it is surprising simply because we've all been, you know, to some extent into a lot of those elements and themes and stuff that come along with Dungeons and Dragons. But I've always kind of looked at it from the standpoint that we really grew up in the in the first real like video game generation, you know, like in home mm-hmm. beyond the the arcade when everybody had a Nintendo in the house or whatever and and, you know, these types of games and stories, tabletop games were turning into video games, and that's how people were experiencing them. Right. So it's like we were doing the same things, just more in that digital virtual environment, you know, whereas others beforehand, you were kind of forced to take it into your own hands and do it in the more analog manual environment. Yeah, yeah. Now, all these years later, we're coming full circle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're coming full circle back to, well, it's... And I think, you, like you, you said it earlier, it's the creativity of it all yeah. that really hooks us because video games, you, you do get locked into what they're presenting you, and you can you can do this. It's like step by step building, um, like a put it together house. Like you know, certain developers, 
you can pick this living room, but once you pick this living room, you have to choose from these three kitchens. Like, I know there's a couple developers up around here that kind of have neighborhoods that are built that way. Yeah. So certain video games can lock you in versus D&D. It's a, it's a total open world that if you want to do things, a race and a class that might not mix well, you can still do it. There's nothing going to stop you. Your adventuring may be more difficult, but that's what you're signing up for. Right. Versus a video game might not let you. It'll lock you into that. Um, and I, I also think it's going to be exciting because I'm thinking of the original Final Fantasy. Okay. Like Final yeah. Fantasy 1 on S- or on NES, where you kind of had some selection choices. You could pick the white mage, the black mage, the red mage, warriors, and things like that. But you always had a team of three. And you controlled all three, so you could really pick and choose and dictate what you want to do. Right. This should be an interesting twist on it because I can only control myself. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And I and I'm going to need on I'm going to need to rely on another person to bring that other thing to the table. Yeah. It won't be so like cross functional for you. Yeah. You know, you'll there will be times where you have to be patient and and maybe we don't have everything we need in the group or, or whatever it may be. So definitely excited, definitely excited to to get into it. And I'm sure that as we get to experience some more and get some more in-depth thoughts on adventuring and group dynamics and all of that, maybe we'll bring it back and and we'll bring it as a chapter here down the line when we can speak to things a little bit more in-depth or you know, chronicle our journey, like I said, as yeah. guys in our 30s doing our first uh, Dungeons and Dragons experiences. But I'm sure that there'll be lots of laughs and lots of awkwardness at times. Oh, yeah. And a full <laughs> learning experience. Like coming back and, and being able to do a chapter on it would be good. I imagine we'll look back at this little blip here of us talking about creating our characters and realizing maybe how wrong we were about the entire process. <laughs> you know, true. like I, I've come in here and said, like, oh, this is what I want to be. And somebody out there is listening and like, well, then you definitely shouldn't have done Forest Gnome Druid. <laughs> like, it, you know, you should have done this or that. But, you know, we're going to live and learn and make mistakes and just figure this whole world out. It's It's been around for ages. Yeah. So, you know, time for us to get, get into it and see what it, all the hype's about. Yeah, for sure. If anybody's got any tips or tricks or anything like that, Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons related, definitely reach out and let us know. Um, but let's jump over to the other thing, because you and I have really been getting at it these last like two weeks, playing a lot of video games on top of what we've been doing here with the D&D. And you mentioned it a little bit ago about being an inspiration for some of your new character. And I know why that is. But um, you found this game on the Switch and it's been out for a couple of years, but it's essentially new to us because we hadn't picked up on it. Yeah. Um, but it was called Lost Castle and it's a roguelike game. Um, and I think we got it on sale for like four or five bucks, normally maybe 10 bucks on the Switch store. So not a huge investment, but it's been an absolute ton of fun. Oh, yeah. And I'm always on the hunt in the Switch store. I feel like every time I log into my Switch, I'm going to the store. I'm looking at the deals because you can really find good like 99 cent games or two dollar games or eight dollar games that end up standing the test of time and being fun. And if they're not. Who cares? It's a dollar. Yeah. And and that was kind of the vibe here. I went into the Switch store. I was actually on the hunt for a solid roguelike game and stumbled across Lost Castle. Like you said, it was normally 10, got it for four, played it, and it was just this perfect little mashup, beat em up with an SNES look, 
but with roguelike features and a pretty unique little, you know, skill tree. And then the online multiplayer is what hooked me because I I played a couple single player campaigns and was having fun working through the randomly generated dungeons and then saw, well, there's this multiplayer aspect and it's only $4. So I put the word out to you and a couple other buddies. You ended up scooping it up and, you know, we started playing multiplayer and having a good time. Yeah, I find it hard these days to resist a good roguelike, you know, just over the years as more and more come out. The more I play, it is just a game type that that is very agreeable with me for whatever reason. And uh, so I looked into this one, $4 price tag made it super easy to pick it up, you know, no matter what. And it was really all on the multiplayer, to be honest. More than anything, yeah. the multiplayer is what intrigued me here simply because that's not something you see a whole lot in roguelikes. You know, they're typically single-player games, kind of RPG-ish in a way or arcade-ish. Um, and this one, you know, just threw that in there and it kind of took it next level. It's got a fantasy setting. So you're kind of running through like dungeons and, and forests and things like that with night armor and different monsters from skeletons to giant spiders and orcs, you know, everything in between. Um, we could do probably a whole chapter just on this game based on how much we've played, but, but it's got a, it's got a cool premise. There's like five levels you're working through them. You die, you collect currency to upgrade a skill tree that is persistent, constantly make you stronger. So you see that in some roguelikes, other times not. But what I like that it does here is that you get a little bit of a combination of some styles where you're getting that persistent skill tree to upgrade yourself, but then every run of the game is very different. It's very much, in this way, it's kind of like Hades. I played that recently. I know that got a lot of good press last year. But it's, you know, you're getting different weapons, you're getting different power-ups, you're getting different armors. Every bit of it is all procedural generated on the levels. So, you know, sometimes you're getting certain items in one run that you're not going to get in the next. And so every single run really does have a nice, unique feel. Um, And that's something that not every roguelike gets right with that aspect. Because some of them, like Dead Cells and stuff, you're kind of playing very, very similar levels over and over again, learning the patterns, even though you're dying. Yeah, and well, the the varying in weapons is really the big thing, because I know when it starts, you're in a cell, and then you come out, and before you head into the very first castle, you know, you're given a weapon up front, whether it's a broadsword or dual swords or a staff, and then you're typically, you're given options to switch out. Right. And then as you open chests along the way, you get different sets of armor, different upgrades, different side characters that will also help you, uh, food, and things like that. And, and I didn't realize that not all roguelikes worked in this manner. I kind of assumed, I don't, I don't play too many of them. Um, I, I've played a few, and unfortunately, and most of them have been on the Switch, and unfortunately, the ones that I have played haven't been exactly what I was looking for. Like, most of them have been a little longer form. Another one that I recently picked up was called For the King. And that one is fun, but it was a little slower pace. I wanted that, like, quick pace roguelike where I could pick up and put it down. If I only had time for a half an hour session, I could quit out with no real penalty. Yes, like, any souls or gold that I collect are going to carry over and things like that. Right. So this one really was. It was just between the multiplayer, the varying weapons and armor and generated i think it has a good look yeah like i said it's got that 16-bit snes look to it so it was just the perfect storm for me 
Well, and it's got very simple mechanics, you know, and it does play, even though I think it was made in 2015. So it's been out for just, you know, four or five years, whatever. But they have kind of those very old school mechanics to it. You know, like when you're attacking, it's got a good feel. You do like different combos depending on the weapons you have. But, you know, if you're attacking, you can't move. Yeah. So if you get an attack that comes back, you oftentimes get hit with it, you know, and that's something that we we used to see a lot back in the day and with you know more modern controls and stuff maybe you get a little more fluidity you don't have those limitations but so for being built essentially as a modern 16-bit game i think i liked how it had some of those same aspects to it that created a little bit more of a difficulty in itself just because of those limitations yeah but all in all you know i think that it it's simplicity in this game makes it so easy to just pick up play you know get your bearings and then you kind of right off to the races you can go through quick runs you know right back into it right back into it as you die which is always a plus for some of these because you know when the goal is to grind with some of these games you know you need that ability to just get right back in or that draw to be like yes let me just make one more run one more run one more run and and it's done well i know i've been playing a lot on my own you and I have had probably, what, two or three nights at least since we picked it up where we've sat for I think so. you know, three, four hours, just run after run, and uh, hadn't beat it together yet, but we were getting really close the last time we played. Yeah, we made it to the fifth level, or the fifth area, pretty far. I think we hit the first mini-boss and ultimately didn't make it, ended up dying, but you're right, like that quick replay is where it's at because... I think even when we're playing together, we have like a half hour run and we're like, ah, we, we can't end on a half. We can't end on a bad one, <laughs> you know, and then when you have a really good one, a, a 45 minute to 60 minute run, you're like, OK, that's the one that I'm comfortable ending on. It was a solid run. Yeah. We got really far, saw a couple new bosses, maybe unlocked a couple new treasures and feel successful. Well, and that's one thing that's pretty cool. Seeing the new bosses is there's a lot of bosses actually in this game and had been regularly seeing new ones and what's nice is that every time you beat a boss it adds new loot more powerful loot into the loot pool for your future runs but i was actually finally taking a look at the compendium and i don't know if you're the compendium and i don't know if you had looked at that yet but we've probably only touched on about half the bosses that are in the game oh i hadn't looked at the bosses i looked at weapons and a couple of the basic enemies but I, I didn't look at the boss area. Yeah, I looked at it, and literally I'd only had about a, half the bosses that were unlocked. The rest were still question marks. So there's still a lot out there. And uh, and I have to say, uh, leading into this, when I was doing my prep for this episode, I did not have the game beat, but I was playing this morning. Oh. And hot off the presses, I actually beat it for the first time, the first run. Nice. This morning, just a couple hours ago. I just got a good run. Didn't have the best weapons, I didn't think, or, or wasn't as set up as I have been in others. But I think between, you know, getting that skill tree more and more built out and just the way the the random drops came this time, I was able to make it through. I had lots of little helpers with me and was able to put down a lot of damage and, and finally got over the hump. That's huge. Yeah, you had sent me a text a little earlier today and told me what all helpers you had kind of flanking you because that's that's part of it. You can get like the little side puppy or a ghost that follows you around and provides extra armor. And 
one of the things that I kind of mentioned when I was building out my D&D character is one of the weapon classes allows you to spring up basically little Venus fly traps that spit poison. Yeah. And it was that inspiration for my <laughs> D&D character that I wanted somebody that could control vines or like create little secondary characters from nature that can help me. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if that works out the same way in D&D <laughs> as it does in Lost Castle. But uh, those types of weapons and those little helpers, I could definitely see benefiting you on a longer run because they help take the action away from you yeah it definitely helped with the aggro they were putting out more damage you know regularly even if i couldn't fire weapons i also got the backpack so i had significantly more space for Ah. extra uh, offensive items and the big difference though i think was that um, i was just getting a lot of health items so you know i was pretty much always maxed out on bananas and drumsticks and apples, you know, which really helps. So I was able to keep my health up, even though I didn't have the highest HP mm-hmm. or defense that I've had in other runs. So it worked out, but um, without any spoilers, I will say it's not the end of the story. It's Ooh. It could be just the beginning. Wow, okay. And that was one thing I had been a little concerned about with this game, and that it was only five levels, and yes, it, it takes some effort to get there to the fifth level and it's and once you get there it is by no means easy right like they make you work for it but i was a little concerned about replayability and like long-term playability knowing that there were only five levels and definitely where i am in like the mid 30s i think i'm almost level 40 the first two areas get redundant yeah because and but i'm sure all gro- all roguelikes kind of fall into that trap to some extent where like level one just you play it a thousand times so it's no longer difficult so you're just kind of blasting through it yeah to get to level two so it had some concern in me that okay well when we do beat this is there going to be a reason to continue to build out the skill tree or build out our characters because we have already beat this why would i come back yeah, I mean, there typically is a lot of endgame stuff in some of these games. Like, I know Hades had a lot of it where once you get through it the first time, you start unlocking all these different modifiers you can put on the game, and you're still working to get the rest of the unlocks done. And so, as I said, you know, only having beaten, like, half the bosses, there's still a whole lot to unlock and work through. I didn't get to do another run after I... After I beat it earlier, so I don't know exactly what the levels are going to look like. But one thing I will say was that once I hit level 50, like my personal guy and my skill tree, I noticed that I was starting to get many more monsters. And even some of the later monsters were coming into the earlier levels. Yeah. So I feel like even before I beat it, just hitting level 50, the game upped the difficulty or, or had a change to it. To like, it felt like when I was playing solo that I was getting the amount of monsters that you and I were getting when we were playing two player, since we knew it kicked up the the numbers. Sure. So, so it's definitely adjusting a little bit. And then um, the one thing I did see though was that it unlocked uh, what they called nightmare mode as an option. Ooh. So I don't know if that'll come with more rewards and all of that, but. You know, definitely some other things to to make you want to continue to play. But I beat it, and I was like, "Oh!" I was like so excited. And I was like, "I can't, I can't text you." I was like, "I can't let you know because we're going to be talking about it here on uh, on this chapter." So that is one of the most you know 
big headlines that I could drop right now was that got that first first win down on Lost Castle. <laughs> That's pretty sweet. That that is pretty sweet. I'm jealous because I'm like, well, I found the game first. I played it longer, <laughs> and Chris has already beaten it before I even got that. Like before I've even seen what the final boss is, because I outside the mini boss that we hit on level five is actually the farthest I had ever made it. They're beasties. So I'm a little I'm a little jealous. The other area of this game that we haven't even touched at all is the PvP. There's PvP in this game. There's PvP in this game, and I, I, I wasn't even, even sure <laughs> yeah, if you had saw that, because you go into online, and you go into matchmaking, and you can either play local, you can play arena mode or multiplayer mode, ah. and we've always played multiplayer mode where you're, you know, campaigning together, gotcha. but there is a, there is an arena mode where it throws you in, and there's monsters and extra hmm. enemies there, but you're there to really fight each other. I didn't catch that, but now you're making me think that I would love a game like this that's a battle royal. Oh, nice. You know, where you're having to, like, go in fresh every time and get different weapons and different power-ups and everybody's getting different stuff. As you were saying, PvP, I was like, this would be cool for, like, a 16-bit battle royal. That would be sweet. I'll have to check that out. I did not pick up on that at all. (laughs) Yeah, the one tough thing is because this game came out in 2016 on PC and then didn't come over to Switch until 2019, and I don't think it's gotten much press, usually the lobbies are not very good. Like, there's just... It's hard to find other, like, natural lobbies when you go to play, so you almost need a group of people to all have this game and then coordinate and and play that way. Yeah, that makes sense. I know we're still looking for people to play with because I think it's up to four players and we've only been doing the two-player co-op, but we were thinking that there would be some good advantages to having somebody who could play as a healer while the other two were laying down damage and things like that, whereas most of the time, the two of us, we've had to kind of go through and and pretty much be on the attack together to to make it through. But it's just it's it's a simple game that's got a lot of variety, a lot of you know options, and it's just well done for being you know ten dollars or less. So. I think I would recommend it to pretty much anybody if you're into these types of games, roguelike games, kind of retro playing, feeling, looking games. Yeah, 100%. So if you're looking for it, it is Lost Castle, developed by Hunter Studios and published by another indie. So definitely go check it out. And if you like it, hit us up. We'll swap switch codes, switch friend codes. There you go. And get a little co-op going, you know, maybe take this a little bigger you know, and get some big nights going. I'm sure we could probably try to stream it on our Twitch channel that we just straight up don't use right now. But yeah. it, it would be fun to kind of connect with a couple listeners and, you know, get this game rolling because it is a smaller game, but it would be a lot of fun to play with multiple people. Yeah, a little party night game. We hope that you enjoyed our catch-up session here. Definitely keep an eye on Geek Catch-Up Social for videos of our Lost Castle playthroughs and as we move forward in our D&D adventure, posts about our characters. Up next, we're chatting about our recent favorite comic reads, but first, a little taste of things to come from GK. Last season on Geek Catch-Up, a lifelong rivalry went to the next level. With a new season comes a new game and a shot at redemption. You thought football season was over, but it's just getting started. Newton steps up, goes for the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! Follow along as Chris and Kyle roll back the clock one more time. 
each taking their chosen team and throwing down in another retro sports classic. Luck steps up. Luck fires downfield. Wide open. Team Y will take it the distance. Touchdown, Indianapolis. Can Kyle redeem himself after coming up short last year? Can Chris repeat as champion? They'll go head-to-head in Tecmo Super Bowl 2015. Check back for updates on stats, standings, and scores from Season 2 of the Geek Catch-Up Retro Sports League Challenge. 73 yards, and that'll get you back in the game. The Retro Sports League Challenge is well underway for both of us, so be on the lookout for those game playthroughs soon and our mid-season check-in here in a few weeks. Continuing our catch-up theme, we wanted to chat about some of the comics Chris and I have been reading lately. We are, of course, still reading the X-Books, but we also like to spread the love to other Marvel, DC, and various publishers' titles. We'll kick it over to Chris first. What have you brought to the table today in the way of comics? Oh my god, dude. So, I counted it up, and I think just in the last week or two... I've had 30 issues to read across nine different titles. My pool list has definitely grown to the biggest it's probably ever been. And I know you're sending the packages down because you get them at the local shop up there and, uh, and send them over to me. But I've been reading the flash, the green lantern, the future state stuff, Dr. Doom, star Wars, bounty hunters, star Wars, the high Republic, the final issue of cyberpunk 27. And then of course, as you said, the X books post X of swords that are still in there. So definitely been more than I think I have ever read at any one given time. And the upside really has been that they've almost all been really good. Nice. Yeah. You would think that with that many, that there was going to be some duds, but just where I am at in the stories or I was, I guess before reading them, I had some that were wrapping up like a Dr. Doom that, you know, finished up that 10 issue arc and got better and better as it went really got some deeper stuff going made you really want to keep reading a doctor doom title like this after they finished it on such an intense note yeah but that's canceled so it's kind of the end of that (laughs) right now but definitely worth a shout out flash also epic you know with the future state stuff really more so because i'm finally getting into following the flash as the comics go so really into that as well But I think if I'm going to call out or really highlight anything here, I've got two. And the one I wanted to start with really was Star Wars Bounty Hunters. Yeah. Coming off the Mandalorian, of course, even though it's not tied into here, you know, the the Star Wars hype is up right now. The Bounty Hunter hype is up right now. Mandalorian hype is up right now. Right. And finally getting back to this, you know, the first couple of issues of the, the new title, were were good and they were action packed, but they weren't like really sucking me in. I was liking them; they were entertaining, and I liked where they were going. But in these last, you know, three or four issues that I had, the six, seven, eights, or seven, eight, nine, somewhere in there right now, it just turned the volume up to eleven. The art just out of control. Every panel of every page is just packed full of details and action epic tie fighter moments space battles hand-to-hand combat shootouts space pirates space rescues and familiar faces making cameos bro it was literally just one page after another of intense everything you want from star wars action pushing the current story forward 
and filling in holes from the backstory with Valance's, you know, origins and how he came out of the Empire being a TIE fighter pilot and then kind of turning into a cyborg, essentially, not really of his own will, but just for health reasons to keep him alive. And they kind of finally dug into some of that. So beginning to end there on these last couple of issues were just fantastic. I can't wait to see how they're going to end this arc. Um, But really, really got me pumped up and kind of elevated the Bounty Hunters title, you know, a little bit further up the list than where I had it as far as what I've been following. Yeah, I knew it started strong. We had talked about it a couple chapters ago that, you know, it was building a really good base in itself and coming in with a few cameos. I know Boba Fett showed up, I think, late last time we talked about it. And it's it's an area we've we've said time and time again in Star Wars that we need more out of. So it's awesome to hear that somebody is exploring this space, and especially with Star Wars at you know newfound heights right now, with Mando being massive, the High Republic coming out, uh, all the the rumors, and it's it's never been a better time to be a bounty hunter in the Star <laughs> Wars universe. So it's it's great to hear that the comics are going down the same path and hopefully putting a little more focus on this title maybe in the Star Wars universe because so far a lot of the focus goes to the main Star Wars comic or the especially the Darth Vader ones. Right. So right. this one almost was slid in under the radar as far as just being a Star Wars Marvel title out there. But to hear that it is getting the proper treatment as far as good storytelling, good character building, and peppering in those cameos is very exciting. Yeah, Ethan Sachs is the writer and Paolo Villanelli is the artist. And I think both of them seem to be putting kind of everything into it. Not that I know them, but just looking at it, you know, it seems like there's not much being left on the table. Literally, I I couldn't say it more. Like every panel is just so well drawn so detailed i like the styling i like the coloring and it's just spot on for star wars and really this part of like the universe being very gritty and seedy you know it's all bounty hunters and like criminal crime family organizations and everything that they're dealing with we did see the boba fett cameos at the beginning there was a new hut that showed up and you know has done some stuff there and then really the one other thing i had called out here for this discussion was that the most recent issue had another cameo in it yeah and i thought that this was really interesting because while they never got to the point where they said his full name to confirm that he is exactly who i assume he is there was many references to him being named solo okay and it was during the backstory part of valance's story where it showed him still as an imperial tie fighter pilot and and Solo was part of his squadron. He was another Imperial TIE fighter pilot. Uh, and, okay. and when they finally kind of do the reveal, like I said, they never say it's Han. They never used Han's <laughs> name. But when they finally showed the character without like his helmet on from the side, I mean, you, you couldn't look at it and be like, that's not young Harrison Ford as Han Solo. Like, it had the hair. Right. You know, they had done just enough to make it in the likeness of of Han Solo. And I thought that that was really cool because, you know, I know that there's been mention here and there, and I think maybe some of the canon or the books has that, you know, Han Solo did spend a little bit of time 
in the empire i think mostly because he was like running from other trouble and had to yeah had to do it you know it wasn't like full born like i'm for the empire it was more of like necessity survival type deal well i think he was in the academy and then got kicked out okay or something along those lines yeah something along those lines so he had like this little stint that's you know been mentioned or you pick up if you pay enough attention here and there um, I hated the solo movie, so I don't know if they really got into it much there. But the cool thing, though, I was looking at was like, we don't see this stuff. You know, here he is leading a squadron of TIE fighters coming back to save one of his guys who had gone down and showing kind of that goodness in him. But, you know, it's Han Solo as an Imperial soldier. So I, I was like, man, I really hope they kind of flesh that out a little more. Might have just been one of those little things that that's all we'll get. Yeah. Because they don't want to mess with that character too much. But it just was another thing to kind of hype me up as I was reading through these. And I was like, oh, this is getting good. Yeah. He he was in the Imperial Academy or an Imperial Cadet. That That's part of that solo movie uh, very early on, um, kind of in part of his lore. But that, that would be sweet because it's exactly what we always say we want out of Star Wars. We like these characters, but don't focus on these characters. But if you are, give us something new about their backstory that we like you've maybe hinted at, and this is a perfect example that yes, we know that he was in the Imperial Academy at some point, but we don't know much about that experience. So giving full stories, because obviously he wasn't there for a day or a week. Right. He was probably in it for some time and then gets out. And then was it a flashback? Yeah. Like I'm assuming. Yeah. So it was a flashback. Cause then you could then tie him in later. Maybe as a bounty hunter, he's hunting a now smuggler. Han Solo. Well, it's kind of been interesting how they've done it because early on, I'm pretty sure with the timeline that they're at, Han Solo is currently in Kryptonite. Or not Kryptonite. Oh, Carbonite. Yeah, Carbonite. Yeah. And and that's because in one of the very first issues when we first saw Boba Fett, there was actually a, a panel where it was on the Slave One, uh-huh. and they actually had what looked like Han Solo in Carbonite. And now they were kind of beyond that. So, yeah, this was a backstory, but what's interesting now is that Valance, you know, the main character of Bounty Hunters, the comic, is directly tied to Boba Fett and Han Solo. Uh So you've got this seemingly, you know, obscure character that not too many people out there that are Star Wars fans probably even know about, who now has kind of this, like, intertwined history with two of the biggest characters of mainstream Star Wars so, you know, it may not turn out to be much. Like, Boba Fett's not in every issue. Yeah. I don't expect Han would be, but I'm just interested to see where they're going to go because of what you said. You know, potentially new stories, new details getting fleshed out here that that um, come from these characters that we've known for so long. And I like that idea of peppering in Han and Boba, but not having them there every issue because naturally stars like that are going to take the focus away right. from valance in the main character right but it also sounds like they're doing a bit of an ahsoka treatment where you know that he exists and he interacts with these other folks and we've seen movies tv shows whatever further down the line and he's not there so where are we headed right and it it creates this mystery uh and seemingly gives them anywhere they want to take him they can take him yeah, and Valance is a cool character. He's not unlike Din Djarin that we see in The Mandalorian. He's kind of got some some issues that come with him, some baggage, but also 
a lot of good in him. Yeah. So I, I think he is a character that could be translated to, you know, the TV screen or the big screen if they wanted to. Maybe not a character that has to get brought to the screen, but, you know, if they wanted a new side character that some people would be interested in or something to introduce into Book of Boba Fett or or Mandalorian season in the future, I think that Valance is something that they could do that with. Oh, yeah. And he would certainly be fresh for, you know, the the TV movie verse of Star Wars as being a cyborg. Right. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. There's not too many cyborgs that come to mind when you think of Star Wars. I mean, obviously, they're out there and there are people that have tech enhancements, but maybe not quite to the level that Valance has. Yeah, he's like almost Terminator level with the amount of machinery he has in him, but just enough humanity to to pull it off so i know i've got one other here that i was going to highlight but let's throw it over to you here before uh before circling back so what's really been on uh top of your list so i've been reading i've got a massive stack same as you like it was just so big and that i actually had to pick and choose what i was going to focus on because i also have a lot of back catalog i still haven't read the final arc of middle west and i still haven't read the first arc of undiscovered country so those are ones that I really need to get to. I know Seven Secrets also recently finished up, and I haven't had a chance to finish that. My focus this go-round has been on the Avengers okay, and the Age of Khonshu, which is essentially the Avengers versus Moon Knight. Oh. That one was really big, and I've been reading a ton of Future State stuff. Okay, So I'm going to actually leave it to you to see which one you want to hear about first, seeing if either one of those correlate with your second one. Uh, they don't correlate with my second one, but my second one is from the DC Universe, so I'll put it that way. But it's not the Future State stuff, even though Flash and Green Lantern was pretty good. I did enjoy those. So maybe touch on the Avengers, and then we can hit a little bit of the Future State stuff and see where that takes us. Yeah, absolutely. So the Avengers, this is the arc before the current arc they're in now. Okay. And it's Jason Aaron is still writing the Avengers. Jason Aaron is the amazing mind that gave us that thor run back in the day right and javier garon he doing the art on that and essentially it is a moon knight versus the avengers story arc where khonshu who is you know moon knight is the avatar to khonshu who is the god of the moon okay uh and there's the whole backstory about moon knight that i'm not going to go into mark specter being a mercenary in egypt yada yada becoming the avatar but basically, Kanchu and Moon Knight foresee this grand disaster happening on Earth. And they take it upon themselves to stop it. But to do it, they need like the combined might of the Avengers. So Moon Knight, in the very beginning of this all, sets out to get certain pieces and weapons from the various like Marvel's heroes. Okay. So literally the opening scene to this entire story arc is Moon Knight, Mark Spector, praying outside of Kung Lung, and Danny Rand, the Iron Fist, shows up to kind of be like, hey, what are you doing here? Yeah. And they have this little conversation. Ultimately, it goes it becomes a martial arts battle. Mm. And they end up fighting. And Moon and Mark Spector, Moon Knight, ends up winning because there's this super moon that's in the sky. Uh. So he's like super powerful. And he ends up stealing the Iron Fist. Wow. From Danny Rand. That's the start. 
that's the start. Damn. And then and then it sets him on this path where he goes on to basically steal the Eye of Agamotto and become Sorcerer Supreme. Wow. Then he goes to the moon and battles Thor and steals Mjolnir. What? Yeah, because he, you come to find out that uh, Uru, which is the metal that Mjolnir's made of, is made of moon rock. <laughs> and Right? And so a powered up moon knight actually has control over it. So he wields Mjolnir. Whoa. He can't, he doesn't actually like hold it and wield it in the sense like Captain America did in Endgame where he picks it up and like draws lightning. Yeah. But he kind of like imagined telekinesis and kind of sending Mjolnir in various places. Whoa. How did you contain all of this from the group chats? Like, <laughs> I know you've mentioned Avengers versus Moon Knight, but definitely not in that level of detail. Holy crap. Yeah, dude, it was wild. And so he's putting all of these powers in these, like, little amulets that he then wears around his neck. Okay. And so he's literally just going, like, one by one to Avenger to Avenger and stealing their powers. Like, Robbie Reyes, which is... Uh, Ghost Rider right now steals his car. So basically he becomes Ghost Rider. So you're telling me that he's like, because I'm envisioning like um, a Moon Knight version of Mr. T, which is like yeah. a ton of necklaces on. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that's kind of what it looks like. They're they're all on thin little strands, but then they have these like amulets hanging down from them. Yeah. So like I said, he, he's going all around. There's a couple side stories happening as well. Because the current lineup of the Avengers is Captain America, Black Panther, Captain Marvel, Iron Man, She-Hawk, Blade, Ghost Rider, and Thor. Wow. So, like, and obviously he hit Iron Fist, but to get the power, even though Iron Fist isn't an actual Avenger right now. But, yeah, he's doing all of this, and and in the beginning, he's not explaining why. Mm. He's just doing it. And then eventually you find out, because he wants to protect the Earth from this like vision that he foresees. And for the most part, the vision that he foresees is Mephesto. Oh, okay. And the evilness of Mephesto. So you get this really cool scene in Avengers 34 where he confronts Mephesto and like is battling with him. And Mephesto is like, kind of like, whatever, man, you can throw whatever you want at me. It's not going to affect me. And then all of a sudden he draws in Mjolnir and Mjolnir bursts right through Mephesto's chest and like totally kills him. Wow. Like just, and so you're sitting here like, oh my God, he's beaten all of these Avengers, stolen all of this power. And then he just like, without even blinking, kills Mephesto. And isn't Mephesto essentially like the devil? Yes. Yeah. In the Marvel universe, like he's Satan. Yeah. And it's just wild. So he's gathering all these, these powers and then he's converting New York City into being this, like, area to draw power from to be able to protect the Earth. Because at this point, he exposes this force is coming and we need to be able to perfect, you know, protect the Earth from, from what's about to happen. And the Avengers are like, we can work together. You don't have to do it this way. And he's like, you know, Khonshu is basically like, no, this is how it needs to happen. So in the process of all of this, mummies get raised from the dead all across <laughs> the earth. There are these like acolytes and followers in various areas. So it's causing chaos. It's just causing chaos and people don't, you know, it's coming across as evil, but in the mind of Moon Knight, it's for a higher purpose. Right. You know, it's like, we're doing this for your own good. Yeah. But the Avengers are like, no, whatever <laughs> we can do, we can do this together. 
It, it doesn't need to be just you. And the one holdout from all of this is actually Black Panther. Mm. Because Moon Knight goes and is like, look, I need the the power that you possess as Black Panther. And Black Panther's like, I can't give it to you. It resides within my blood, within the royal bloodline. Also, no, I'm not going to give it to you. <laughs> so there's a couple issues where they they kind of take Black Panther hostage Whoa. and torture him and kind of leave him locked up. But eventually he breaks out. Eventually all the Avengers break out. Uh, and you get this this epic battle between Moon Knight and Black Panther. Black Panther ends up winning, but it's not... Just because you beat Moon Knight doesn't mean you've beat Khonshu. Uh. But eventually the, all the Avengers come together. Uh, you also kind of the over... I don't want to spoil too much for anybody that, that plans on reading it. Part of the reason I didn't talk about it in the group chat is because our good buddy is reading Avengers. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, but there's a lot of plays back into what Jason Aaron had been doing with uh, Avengers 100,000 BC, which is like the original Avengers formation. So it's like the very first Iron Fist, very first Black Panther. I think Od- Odin is on that team instead of Thor uh, and things like that. Like the original Ancient One is there as the Sorcerer Supreme. Gotcha. So... Like, it does a lot of callbacks into that. And then it also sets up the next story arc, which is the Phoenix Force showing up. Yeah, I saw that there's going to be a whole new Phoenix situation. Yeah, and that ultimately, like, the Phoenix also mixed with Starbrand, who's, who's like a baby right now. Her, like, the inherent power that she has, that's all the forces that Kanchu was trying to prepare the Earth for. But ultimately, like, the Avengers wouldn't allow it to happen. So, you know, the Avengers, in classic Avengers status, they regroup, they reform, and they take everything back. But you get a couple, like, little cool moments because as Moon Knight starts to lose, he starts to lose his control over the various powers that he stole. So Thor gets his hammer back and this and that. But a couple of the other powers that he took... Uh, gets spread out amongst those Avengers. So without going into crazy detail, just telling you, we do get a Sorcerer Supreme blade. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So probably some temporary mix-ups just to kind of like what if, you know, kind of moments where some of these... Yeah characters we're familiar with get blended up hybrids yeah and uh, that's kind of wild she hawk also gets imbued with the power of iron fist oh so Jesus. you get an iron yeah you get an iron she hawk she'd be unstoppable yeah and and those panels during those panels they're like fighting like werewolves and mummies and all and, like all this crazy stuff so it, it's what ended up happening is i typically don't read the Avengers or Justice League or the big team-up comics, unless there's something that catches my eye. And in this case, I I like Moon Knight. I'm a big Moon Knight fan, so I was like, oh, I can't avoid this story arc. But every time I do read an Avengers or Justice League comic, it's usually, like, amazing. And I don't know why I'm so shocked by that, (laughs) because why wouldn't the biggest publishers put their biggest creative teams on their biggest books? Yeah. So it was just highly recommend... I think a lot of it was giving Moon Knight the treatment because he's got the new TV show coming right. uh, with, with Oscar Isaac playing Mark Spector. So they need to start putting Moon Knight back in the forefront so people get familiar with him again. 
but it was it was just through and through really cool a bit of a flat ending i guess for all the hype and all the build of him gathering the powers and having these epic battles it it ended flat because they were preparing for the phoenix force yeah it was like a setup yeah exactly it was all to set up that next story but as a self-contained you know six little issues it was an awesome read with some really cool high action moments very cool very cool might have to check out the trade when that gets available on that one yeah and, and i think what they're going to go do with the Phoenix Force is going to be just as cool because towards the end, the Phoenix Force does show up and possess Moon Knight. Well, I can imagine. I know in some of the issues I've been reading, uh, there's been little advertisements. Yeah. And so, like, one of them I saw was, like, a Phoenix version of the Black Panther. And I was like, holy shit. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I started picking up that they were going to... They've been teasing, like, who's going to be the next Phoenix and all of that kind of stuff. So I imagine they're going to have some some big surprises in store for for the Avengers line. But nothing that I was reading at the moment. But that's pretty cool to see that that's how they set it up was with the Moon Knight stuff. I had definitely didn't have that on my radar at all. No. I haven't been reading Avengers or anything like that. But super cool. At least it came out for the most part, it sounds like, pretty good. And Oh, yeah. As a big Moon Knight guy, gave you some good payoffs were some really sweet stuff that he did. Yeah, like and th- and that's what it was all about for me is you you know with arcs like this it's nothing quite going to be universe impacting. It's probably going to be self-contained. By the time it starts and finishes, the status quo is going to get reset and that that is what happened, but you got some really cool Moon Knight moments, especially when he had the various necklaces and powers and he was wielding dual iron fists while also doing magic and whipping Mjolnir all around while also being an expert fighter in his own right. <laughs> it, it just, yeah, all in all, it made for some really, really sweet moments um, and painted him in kind of that gray light, like, because all the heroes know him yeah. and they also know that his history with mental illness. So that became part of the story. Like, is this just another relapse of your mm, mental illness? Yeah. He's like, no, I'm in full control. I know what I'm doing. This is for the betterment of everyone. Yeah. Well, I know you mentioned that you've got the future state stuff, too, that you wanted to talk about. But I was wondering, actually, maybe I can jump in here with the other option I had. And then that might set us up for going back into future state to wrap up. What do you think about that? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, and I say that because essentially my the other highlight that I had here is from DC. It is a character that is in the future state stuff, of course, but it was not that event. I had to highlight here the Tales from the Dark Multiverse Flashpoint ah. one-off that you brought and kind of picked up. I had no idea that this was even out there, and you found it, bought it, sent it to me. And it was a great surprise book that I didn't see coming. But as a big Flash fan, uh, Flashpoint, of course, is one of my favorite stories. I think a lot of people really like the Flashpoint story from years back. And so this was really kind of a cool way to see a different take of it or maybe like more of a ripple effect of something that happened coming out of the Flashpoint. Well, what I know is that with the Tales from the Multiverse series that DC's been doing, because you're right, like I I bought this book for you without asking, without telling, (laughs) and just kind of, you know, slipped it into the pack of the comics I mailed you. 
But DC has been doing this Tales from the Multiverse, and there are a series of one shots that explore if you took an individual what if scenario or, you know, different universe and expanded the story out from it. So we in the past, we had seen an expanded uh, Batman with Asriel as Batman. And kind of if that had continued on, if Batman hadn't returned and taken his the mantle back, what would have continued on? And then this one, in the same vein, it took the Flashpoint universe and what happened if Barry didn't come back right. and, and reset. And I believe Flashpoint reset the universe for the new 52. My timeline could be slightly off or generations of comic could be slightly off. But I'm pretty sure the Flashpoint kicked off the new 52. So it would be what is exploring if that never happened, if flashpoint just continued to flashpoint. Exactly. Sorry. I didn't mean to jump in there totally on you, No, but like it, it was a series that DC has been doing uh, and they're all self-contained one shots and they've been a ton of fun. Yeah. You hit it on the head though. And that's exactly what happened here with this one was, you know, at the end of flashpoint, the original, right? Barry goes back and he kind of undoes all the, the stuff that he messed up and and resets the timeline whereas here this one opened up with you know the world still a very dark place and it looked like some time essentially had gone by barry still doesn't have his speed force and he's essentially trying to work with thomas wayne as batman because of course that was the deal with batman in flashpoint was bruce was the one that died thomas survived thomas became batman and so Barry's working with Thomas to restore his speed force with the use of lightning. And it kind of gives you this immediate swerve because when the lightning strikes, it actually kills Barry. Yeah. And it was it's Eobard Thawne, the reverse flash, that hit him with the lightning. So he comes in. And so this whole story is essentially like the what if, if, you know, Flash is gone and reverse flash is the one that's here interacting with thomas wayne and the world that is just absolute chaos you know and in flashpoint you know they we got to see some of the wonder woman leading the amazons through you know some like war type stuff and um aquaman leading you know the atlanteans on their side and there's just a lot of really bad things going on yeah well this in this world the dark multiverse part it takes that even further you know the atlanteans are pretty much ruling or they've captured a lot of africa and a bunch of different parts of the world wow, the nice. famous Aryans, you know the amazons are they're like residing in london like they've taken over england and most of europe and then you've got like america that's just desperately struggling to hold on in all of this because even though they've still got some heroes and like the some of the justice league heroes right they are no match for the full might of these other two armies essentially and so, you know, won't crush everything, but this thing was just badass through and through. And so once the reverse flash comes on the scene, you know, Thawne's very smart. He's very capable. He's very powerful. And so he pretty much kind of twists Thomas Wayne around a little bit because he knows a lot about Batman and, and those characters anyways. But some of the really crazy stuff that happened here um, was essentially Thawne takes over the entire u.s ah. like he is essentially a shadow president yeah and he does that by straight in a blink of an eye killing green arrow captain cold cyborg 
and a green lantern within just a couple of seconds inside the Oval Office. Oh, snap. Like, the president's meeting with the Justice League trying to figure out what to do, and Thawne pretty much comes in and just wipes them all out, and he's like, yo, bro, I'm the guy you need. Yeah. And, and takes over, you know, essentially the power of America. But it went on even further, you know, in order to send, like, a message to the other armies. There's a whole, like, page or two of him just wrecking like a thousand Atlantean soldiers and putting Aquaman's trident through his chest. So he kills Aquaman. Nice. And and then throws him at the feet of Wonder Woman. So, I mean, it's just like really, really beastie, just epic moments where you're just watching reverse flash, you know, with no limits. Yeah. Nobody who can stop him because there's no other speedsters just waxing. <laughs> all the other heroes that are out there. Oh yeah. And and it was just wild. That's so cool and that's what I love about these tales from the multiverse one shots is there there are no limits. Right. You know, this is its own little pocket universe and it does not going to affect overall canon so you can get ballistic with what you want to do, what you want to try, where you want to take these characters and knowing yeah. that, you know, Wonder Woman and Aquaman were feuding in the Flashpoint universe to begin with but then throwing reverse flash into the mix yeah. as just like a wild card rogue. That, that sounds pretty epic. I think it's crazy to think that he stabbed Aquaman with his own trident. Yep. Uh, like <laughs> you got to tell me where it went from there. Like, did it kick off a new war? Is he now the King? Is it like Chronicles of Riddick style? <laughs> where like he's the King now? Like, how does that work? Nah, well, you know, he's always got a little bit of his own arrogance, right? So he kind of looks at it more as he sends the message to the armies, like, y'all can't deal with me. But what ultimately happens is that it all that does is it actually forces the Amazonians and the Atlanteans to forge an alliance oh. and come after him. Nice. Because <laughs> he was, like, threatening... Diana and, and all of that when he went and dumped the body and pretty much was just like, yep, I did this. Don't mess with me. And we can all be peaceful. You can have this part of the world. I'll have the other part of the world and we'll we'll move on. And they aren't they aren't okay with that. But on the flip side, Batman uh essentially starts to work with a like backup version of Cyborg. So when Cyborg gets killed, he's essentially got like a backup computer version of himself and downloads into another robot. Yeah. And they go and they um, unleash the Superman of the world, which in Flashpoint, Superman wasn't just like raised by Martha and um, his dad. They kept him as an experiment. They, the American government was very worried about him. And yeah, they kept him in a bunker beneath the earth so he couldn't get anywhere close to the sun. Right. Keep him under control, and they were testing him. So Cyborg's aware of it. They go and they unleash him, thinking, okay, he's the only guy that should, in theory, be able to take down Reverse Flash. And so that happens. There's this huge fight. Superman takes down Reverse Flash, and they've got him like ready you know, to defeat him. And Superman doesn't want to kill him, but Thomas Wayne is still getting eaten up at the fact that he knows that Barry had the ability to go back in time and fix everything because Barry had told him that. Yeah. So Thomas knows that Reverse Flash, with Barry being dead, that Reverse Flash can do the same thing. And so right as they're finishing off Reverse Flash, like Superman's got him right there, Thomas Wayne shoots him in the head. 
and kills Superman. What? Yeah! <laughs> like kryptonite bullet? Dude, or just... Well, they don't go into that detail, but he just okay. straight up like walks up next to and just boom, point blank, murders Superman. That's awesome. I, and I hope visually it's kind of a parallel to how Thomas stabbed reverse Flash through the chest in Flashpoint. Like, I don't know if you remember that panel from Flashpoint. Yeah, it wasn't quite that, but it was similar. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Still paying homage and, and ridiculous nonetheless. Yeah. So it was kind of wild because Thomas is just consumed by the fact that, you know, he wants Bruce essentially to be able to live. He wants his family back. Sure. Whatever that means. So he pretty much saves Reverse Flash and then tells him, you know, you have to go in. And change things. And so the whole thing ended with Reverse Flash going and doing his deal to change things. But where they kind of left it open. And now I'm like, I need like a whole like Flashpoint <laughs> 2.0 section. Yeah. Because the way they leave it open, of course, is, you know, Reverse Flash isn't, you know, at times he can be good, but he's mostly bad. You know, he's not quite like a full anti-hero, but he he has those moments. Yeah. But he he goes back and he's doing his thing and he's acting like, you know, he's being kind of good in this moment but then he starts there's like these moments like narration bubbles and he's talking about how well i can make everything the way i want it i can make this my world if i'm gonna go Uh, back in the past and start messing with stuff i'll just make it all in my favor and he starts calling himself the flash and and then the last panel it doesn't tell you if it's a good or a bad thing but the last panel last page really is kind of a classic justice league type moment where it's like all the heroes are coming like at you like you see those yeah and and you see a lot of like the the hawkman and superman and a lot of those characters and reverse flash is right in the middle kind of looking like normal flash so it's almost like he created this justice league and you see like wally behind him and his gear but it's the reverse flash symbol instead of the normal symbol you know right so it kind of makes you wonder like did Reverse Flash decide he was going to be good and like form the Justice League, or did he form like a villainous Justice League and turned all of the powerful people into villains that he kind of runs or controls? You know, you don't know, but that's how it all ends. Yeah, it's really unclear. What that's part of Thawne's like mystique is that he wanted he's inspired by the Flash, right? right like he yeah. wanted to be the Flash, but then when he inevitably met Barry Allen, he wasn't what he envisioned he wasn't what he was inspired by and ultimately went to a world of villainy but in the beginning he wanted to be like the flash so i like the dynamics of that where he creates this universe where he becomes the barry allen that he always wanted barry allen to be kind of yeah and like i said like he in most of the dark point or the dark flashpoint story here he refers to himself as the flash right and so like it was kind of interesting like when he's introducing himself to people who don't know who he is he's like i'm the flash right not reverse flash so it was, yeah it was definitely playing on some of that stuff but they never went so far as to fully explain it or tell you i like that i like that and really i do because i gotta tell you the other tales from the multiverse one shots just as intense just as crazy and they all do seem to leave a slight like cliffhanger at the end, like leaving the door open. If they want to come mm. back to this universe, they can come back to this universe. So I hearing this one, I would love to see a follow up. You know, it, it doesn't have to be canon. It yeah. can be its own pocket universe. You can make it its own thing, put it under the DC black label imprint, 
Like that would be cool and very fitting because it seems like it's a little more mature. Definitely. But yeah. I, I would like to see this universe and all of these tales from the multi dark multiverse kind of explored. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't go so far as to be like, it was as good as original flashpoint because it was also shorter. Right. But for a lot of the other boxes to check as far as intensity, entertainment, the art was great. You know, the story was great. All of that. I, it got, it, it won in every box, you know, it, yeah. it did it for me. Nice. Nice. Well, speaking of kind of multiverses, we we can wrap up here with some future state talk. I won't dive into any one book in particular, just in the, you know, in the interest of time, but I've been reading a few different future state books here. So, you know, we can spend a few minutes just kind of chatting about future state in general, because you've also been reading a few, you read, like you said, the flash and green lantern. Yeah. Uh, I'd also been reading the Nightwing. Robin Eternal, Teen Titans, and Justice League books as well. I think I got the chance to read the first Flash and Green Lantern before I sent them your way. Didn't get a chance to read the second two. Uh, but I, what are your thoughts on this whole future state? Like, it is, it's a contained two-month event. Most titles are only getting two issues. Some are getting four. It's really about introducing new characters, younger characters into positions that we are familiar with. So there's a new Superman, there's a new Wonder Woman, there's a new Batman, uh, but the legacy characters, your Clark Kent's, your Princess Diana's, your Bruce Wayne's, they're still around, but they've moved on with their lives and they now have these new heroes fulfilling these roles. So I didn't know of the ones that you've been reading, if you've been liking them or not liking them. I liked them. I, I think I either had the wrong impression or just the stories that I read Especially the Flash wasn't as different as I was expecting based on what I had seen and some of what you had told me with what DC was trying to do here with Future State. So like with the Flash, especially because the original, like the cover looked like it was maybe a new character or a female version of the Flash or whatever. It ended up not really being that way. It almost felt like it was just a normal flash story it was it was in the future yeah you know it was like definitely a little bit of an older barry allen with you know like a white beard and and some of that but it was still barry allen and jay garrick and wally west is involved and you know kind of all the same players iris was there like not much had changed except for the fact that barry um didn't have the speed force but that's not even something that we haven't seen before so yeah so while i liked it and like there was some really intense moments and what they did with who the villain was and everything for those two issues i was like this is sweet but it just felt more like a a short arc normal flash story or like a one-shot type deal more so than this future state trying new things trying new characters and all that which is what i expected right well, I know they introduced the main villain that is Wally West as Famine. Yeah, I mean, that was probably the biggest difference was that, you know, the villain was somebody familiar. And that was pretty sweet. Like, he was definitely a really big-time villain. But I don't know if I really saw that as anything too drastically different than stuff that we kind of see in comics regularly. Right. You know? Yeah. Like, we've definitely seen heroes become villains and vice versa throughout the world of comics before so yeah it's true i i have similar sentiments to a handful of the ones that i read like teen titans was kind of the same ordeal that one was a little all over the place because it was what i put together it's actually like the central story 
to the status quo of future state. Okay. Like the Titans are were responsible for this event uh. that happened years ago. And it put the world on this path. And ultimately the Justice League ended up not trusting the Titans anymore. And then the Titans kind of fell apart. And the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse came and started killing off members. And the actual Teen Titans two-parter jumps from various spots in time, like of the past, and then the future state present, and then also went into some like mental states. Mm. So it was a little disconjointed as to far as what they were trying to do and the story they were trying to tell. The, the one big part I wanted to highlight that I thought was pretty cool, they did introduce Red X, which is awesome that we got Red X on the pages of comics, no longer exclusive to Teen Titans, the animated show. Like, there is a Red X. We don't know who's under the mask. We know that it's not Dick Grayson, uh, but we also know that Dick Grayson once had the Red X mask. He he once went around as, as Red X. I don't want to get too deep into that because that's like Teen Titans animated series stuff. Uh, but the cool thing about that is he teams up with the current Red X, and you find out that Dick Grayson's new mantle in Teen Titans is he's uh Deathwing. Ah, so like a new he, new name. He's replaced death he's no, he's replaced Deathstroke. He he wears uh, Deathstroke's mask okay. and everything. Okay. I saw one picture of that character and it was that hybrid Nightwing Deathstroke look, but I didn't realize that that's what they were calling him was Deathwing. Deathwing and like as somebody makes the joke, they're like, "Oh, you went with Deathwing? I think I would have won with Dick and he starts to stay like dick stroke <laughs> and like they were like somebody cuts him off and it was it made for like a little humorous moment peppered <laughs> into teen titans but I, i'm right there with you as far as some of the other stuff like it it wasn't too out of the ordinary and maybe we're just reading the wrong ones like robin eternal was good not great i'm really really still looking for that quintessential tim drake story mm. that i can read I've tried to read Tim Drake on several occasions, and it's never worked out. He's died in literally every every Tim Drake series I've ever tried to read. He dies. <laughs> uh, Nightwing, the individual, was pretty cool. He's kind of fighting the good fight against the Magistrate in Gotham. But the highlight is probably Justice League. Okay. But even that one, it was really about the new characters. It was the first one that finally fit the bill of Future State as far as introducing new fresh characters into legacy roles. Okay. And and what I mean by this is there is a there's a new team leader Green Lantern and and Joe Mullen. So she's the new GL team leader. The aged up Jonathan Kent is Superman. Uh there's a new Wonder Woman in Yara who's just another Amazonian who's taken on that role. The Flash is pretty unique. It's actually Jess Chambers hmm. who is the Flash from Earth 11. So what ended up happening is the Flash from Earth-11 came to Earth-Zero to warn them of this, like, apocalyptic thing that was going to happen, and then it did happen, and then they stayed to work in the fallout. So I think that is the Flash that we had expected to show up in your series. Yeah, it's odd that they didn't. But they didn't. Yeah. yeah like, they didn't at all. Well, and even Green Lantern, like, it's odd that there's a different Green Lantern there in Justice League, but I don't believe... Even though the two Green Lantern future states had like six stories in them all together, I don't believe that was one of them at all. 
No, Joe wasn't. Yeah, she was. She didn't show up in that at all. It, it was all really strange. And of course, the new Batman is there just to kind of round out the team. The new Batman, which is Tim Fox or Jace Fox. Uh, it's the same person. And then the last one is Andy Curry, who is the daughter of Arthur Curry and Mara. Okay. And she, she goes by Aquawoman. So the new team dynamic was really cool. And it told a nice little contained story. It was a two-parter, so the first half of the book was with the new Justice League, and the second half was with Justice League Dark. But it, it, it was great how they introduced the new Justice League, how they worked together. They had a new set of rules where they agreed to not communicate and not get to know each other, because that's what doomed the original Justice League in uh, this story arc. Is that Personal ties and stuff. Personal ties became kind of somebody destroyed the Justice League from within Mm. because there were too many personal ties and the Justice League had gotten too big. So they had set a new set of ground rules to make it so they didn't know each other's personal identities and they didn't communicate outside of Justice League business. Uh, Ultimately, that gets flushed down the drain (laughs) in part two because they they fight the Hyper Clan, which is a uh, group of white Martians who imitate because Martians can shapeshift right, and mind yeah. and mind read. Yep. And then the white Martians is like a subspecies of Martian. There's green Martians and white Martians. Yeah. The white ones are like the more intense, like a little bit bigger ones, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they're like psychic abilities are a little more powerful, I believe. Yeah. Uh, based on my knowledge from young justice and knowing that, you know, Miss Martian, it was a white Martian. So all of that was, it was really cool in, <sighs> It planted a couple of fun seeds, but I don't know if what I thought Future State was going to be ended up being that either, because like we had talked about, we thought it was this introduction of a bunch of new characters, see who stuck, and then work them into canon storylines. And I guess I got a little bit of that out of Justice League with the new team. And I and I definitely like the new Flash, this Earth-11 Flash. Uh, they're very unique in their own way and they're hiding their identity a little bit so you they're they're also non-binary okay you know that their name is jess chambers yeah so that's unique and that's kind of fun but the other ones it it didn't quite hit the way i wanted it to hit i thought it would create this spark of interest in being like okay well when they reintroduce this character down the line i'm gonna be first up front this is i want this book i can't avoid it and yeah so I'm not sure if it did that for me either. Yeah, it's really odd, and I'm almost disappointed to hear in a way that they actually had the new characters in Justice League but not in the other books, you know, because, like, of course, it was a weird spot for me coming in and finally starting to follow Flash just a little bit before they went and did something like this. But I was like, okay, you know, it was like the speedsters, I like speedsters, you know, all of the above. And so I was completely open and okay with seeing what new character they might introduce, and then they didn't. Um, but to know that they did it in another book and didn't bring them to the actual like Flash book or the Green Lantern thing, just the kind of I just don't understand that to be honest. Because especially with the Green Lantern book, yeah, like the Green Lantern books were literally cut into like three different mini books or a, maybe not even mini books because they were thicker issues, right? But you got to see different lanterns in different places some that have lost their power some that i hadn't yeah uh, old lanterns new lanterns you know and all this and really there was only like one story truly out of all of those that stuck out as okay here was a little bit newer character at least to me she did some pretty awesome stuff she was going up against some yellow core lanterns and the whole nine yards some sinestro core lanterns 
And everything else was kind of just throwaway in a way. Yeah, I don't know. So it's like, why did they even do it? Uh, I don't I don't know if I'm even understanding why they even did it if they weren't going to bring all the other characters into their own books so that way they could be flushed out a little bit more or give us a little bit more backstory or or whatever it may be. That's kind of what I expected, right? was like the sure, Justice League yeah. would have them all together and then the individual books would be two or three issues or whatever it is for that new character to really establish them. And then kind of together, you would have this package of future state potential. Future state, yeah. And I think some of them did. Like, I've, I've heard that the Dark Detective and the new Batman books, they, they definitely did that. I know that the Wonder Woman books and a few of the Superman books did that. Mm, but it does but seem strange. But not all of them did it. Like, And maybe hmm. we just chose wrong. But we also, it feels like we chose some heavy hitters. Yeah, right? Yeah. In Flash and Green Lantern and Teen Titans. Like, Teen Titans was big, and there were a lot of things that happened there, which were pretty cool. I'm not going to sit here and say that it wasn't cool, but it also all felt rushed mm. because it was only two months, two issues. And I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not a fan of this. We have a consistent story. Like, basically, what I know happened to you with Flash. Where, you know, the the ongoing Flash was happening, it was telling, maybe not the best story ever, but a good story, and then it gets interrupted by Endless Winter, Yeah. then it gets interrupted by Future State, and now it's been, it's going to be three months worth of books before you get back to the regularly scheduled <laughs> programming. Which is all it's going to be, is regularly yeah. scheduled programming, or at least that's what it seems like, yeah. Yeah, it's like... It just does seem a little strange, and I understand wanting to introduce new characters, the full gamut, not arguing that, but there does seem, do you have to interrupt your regular flow to get this done? Can't, can you just pocket universities, or right. maybe you have to interrupt it to force people to read it, because not everybody's going <laughs> right. to go out and and read Tales of the Multiverse and find those pocket universes, but yeah, uh, I hope that something sticks. There, there were a lot of positives. Like, I, I don't want it to seem like we're being too negative on Future State because a lot of the individual moments were really cool. Right. A couple of the personal touches were really cool. The art was dynamite. New creative teams, new writers. I like to see all of that. Uh, but the execution of it all as a publisher did seem to be a little off. Yeah, not bad, but just not quite what it was sold to be. Yeah. Maybe, the me- maybe that was just half the problem was the messaging was a little odd. So our expectations were in the wrong place or something along those lines. But I just remember reading it going, yeah, like I'm enjoying this, but this is not what I thought it was going to be. Like that was the <laughs> overall sentiment I had the whole time I'm reading. And I'm like, okay, yeah, well, that was future state. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> kind of the same sa- as current state. <laughs> and same here. And I guess we'll see over the next six, eight months if like when they get back to regular scheduled programming, if they start to work these characters in to build towards future state. Because they have said that the current universe, future state world, and everything that's happening is canon and is where we're headed on the DC timeline. So I, I would like to see them building that. But how many years are we? Is it going to take to get to that payoff? Yeah. And you know, and I'm not. I like long term storytelling. My us talking about wrestling has right. proved that we like long term story storytelling, but. I could see that if these are more just glimpses and then they're going to build things over time to to where they showed us, you know, where the world is today, then okay, that could be a little bit more of an intriguing proposition in, in the long game, but they're going to have to make good on that promise. Same, yeah, 
Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna have to do something. You can't reset the universe again or convergence it, which is what they did a couple years ago. That's very similar to Future State, and I could be wrong, but I don't remember a payoff to that. I remember it was very similar. It was a blend of universes, characters mixing with other characters that they had never mixed with before. Some some new status quos, but there was never an ultimate payoff. So hopefully Future State doesn't end up that way and we get to see the magistrate take over Gotham and we get to see the Horsemen of the Four Apocalypse show up and the destruction from within of the Justice League and things like that. And obviously with the Flash, how they lose their powers. And I know one cool moment of that little Flash book was, I guess, off panel, off paper, they went around and gathered the various weapons yeah. uh, from the rogues, but we never got to see it. And I was like, ah, but seeing that would be cool. That's how we get to see how they do one, you know, right it before it kind of goes into the stuff with Wally. But that's exactly the premise was that they spent the last five years defeating all the different rogues and collecting, you know, Captain Cold's cold gun and, you know, the boomerangs and just everything that's out there. And ultimately, and since you didn't read two, I will say, they do circle back a little bit to it and Barry ends up like modifying all of them to his needs. Yeah. And there's actually one point where he's kind of like armored up almost like a super shredder kind of look, but like in his flash suit and it's, he's got all the different gadgets, you know, like strapped to him ready to go. And so that was kind of cool. Um, but we never got to see all those battles of how they, how they collected them from all the different villains. Right. So hopefully we get that payoff and uh, definitely if, other people are reading Future State and they're like, hey, you guys are way off base. This is the one that you got to go check out. Please let us know uh, because I, I do feel like maybe we we missed the boat and read the wrong books because it seems like a lot of comics are just knocking it out of the park right now. But for whatever reason, Future State didn't quite stick the landing. Yeah, so as you said, definitely a lot of great comics out there right now, and it's been hard to keep up with every title, but it's also been super exciting to see just how good some of these stories that we've been following for a while have both started, progressed, and closed. We hope you enjoyed hearing about what we've been excited about, but we'd also love to hear about what comics you've been really enjoying lately. Like Kyle just said, if you've been into Future State, definitely reach out and let us know on social media. And we are always looking for new recommendations. So if you've got some other books that we didn't touch on today that you love, definitely share them with us. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this chapter, be sure to hit the subscribe button to get new chapters of Geek Catch Up every two weeks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Be sure to follow the show on social media, and you can find us on Facebook and YouTube at Geek Catch Up Podcast or on Twitter and Instagram at Geek Catch Up Pod. Links to all these accounts are in the show notes below and on our website, geekcatchuppodcast.com. Stay saucy, you nerds. <laughs>